So, Matt Ray, you were recently on vacation in New Zealand. Now, I've been to what they call the North Island. I think you were on the South Island, right? This time, yep. Now, yep. now I want to compare notes with you. Uh, is it true that basically New Zealand <laughs> is awesome? This is true. I, I, I like New Zealand a lot. It's, uh, it's a very lovely country. Um, it's much bigger than I thought because uh, I was like, oh, South Island – We'll just kind of scoot around. Uh, we'll hit this city, this city, this city. You know, we'll make a week out of it, and then eight hours of driving later, I was like, "What have I done?" <laughs> yeah, that, that that was my experience on the other island. Is it's basically like it's as if every day you went for a day trip to Houston from Austin. Like, yeah, like it's a it's a yeah. it's a long drive. Now, now it is it is fun to see different countryside than the uh, mm-hmm. the the cows and everything. And man, it sure is Very green different. over there. It's crazy. It's so green. Well, yeah, the the South Island, uh, not so much. And oh, uh, I mean, what well, a letdown. I take that. I take that back. The the interior, right? Oh, so yes. they've got uh, they've got the Fjordlands National Park. It's 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 huge. It's got uh, glaciers. We saw some of that. You know, mountains with snow and all that. But in the inside, it was kind of dry. And they were having a heat wave while I was there mm-hmm. uh, in the in the thirties, yeah. if you like. And then apparently that, the day after uh, we left, that's, that's in the Royal Celsius, right? Is that right? <laughs> the Imperial Celsius. Imperial. I, I, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then uh, the day after we left, like a typhoon or something came on in, and and you know, uh, canceled like a bunch of flights, and we we just barely missed it. But uh, it was hot while we were there. I got a lot of sunburns. <laughs> yeah, man, that place. But is Matt so Ray, nice. I, I want to know from the uh, the the dumb American point of view. Yeah. What is better, you know, like, because I think of uh, Australia and New Zealand, right? Just this one one country, one large country <laughs> with two states, even though that's obviously not the case. What oh, uh, no. What would one need to know that is the true difference between living and vacationing in Australia versus living and in, in vacationing in New Zealand? Oh, wow. So they're, they're, they're very, very different places. Um, uh, I, I, you're you're I, just I saying that because you don't want to get your house TP'd over there. <laughs> Very politely teepeed, though metric teepeed. <laughs> right. um, but no, no. The uh, we actually, I had a, a coworker who uh, we we went into New Zealand and uh, flew into Wellington. We got in after midnight. We're in the taxi, and he he literally asked the taxi driver if New Zealand was was a state of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to get you know pulled over to the side and get beaten with a tire iron. Um, the uh, New Zealand is, is very different because they have a lot of uh, – well, first of all, they got a lot of water. Uh, Australia doesn't. Um, it's a much more compact place. Uh, they don't have mammals, right? They got some bats. Um, and so it's all birds and stuff. They got a lot of mountains. Um, it's really green, lush. Uh, not as much beach culture. Um, accents are different. Uh, but also New Zealand has the population of Sydney. Right, so you know Australia is a, a much a much larger population, despite being so spread out. Um, and so, New, and New Zealand also has a much more diverse uh, economy. So they have a lot more um, people trying tech. Well, they they definitely have a lot of agriculture. Uh, so it's uh, but if so, if you're going on vacation, you can't you can't do you can't do either one in just a week. So, Mary, would the following uh, SAT analogy offend everyone? Uh, Canada is to the United States as New Zealand is to Australia. Would that be a, a, a good summary? Uh, well, they're definitely both socialist countries, but I have heard people <laughs> say New, New Zealand is much more polite. 
Uh, and New Zealand has a lower tax rate than Australia. So oh, I don't good know what know. that's worth. Good to know. Yeah. Tax haven, New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> Not exactly. No, Not no, exactly. Okay. No. But uh, yeah, uh, the, the accents are slightly different. The people slightly more polite. Uh, and I, I don't mean like, like Australians are rude. I just mean Australians are kind of more rough and tumble. And, uh, you know, I, I love them both. The, the, I, think, I, think, I think the nomenclature is direct. That's what we say direct. around here. They're very direct. Yes. Yes, yeah. that that would be correct. Yeah. Well, uh, as as has been the case so many times, this episode is uh, sponsored and brought to you by, by Datadog. We'll come back a little bit later to uh, talk about what they're up to. Now, also, in case you haven't been paying attention, we started a new podcast called Software Defined Interviews. We're very good at coming up with names, best names you you ever heard. Good at branding. People tell me that all the time. Uh, and, uh, if, you know, also as, as you might be guessing, if you go to softwaredefinedinterviews.com, you can, uh, you can find the podcast. Now it's got RSS feeds and all that other stuff. So you should subscribe to it. Uh, and we, we just published our first official one. You might notice that it's episode 61. Cause what we've done is we've combined together a bunch of my old interview shows and also the old, uh, software defined talk Members Only White Paper Podcast, otherwise known as the Exegesis Podcast, and I put all the archives in there. So now those are free to listen to. If, you, if you've been pining to hear Brandon and I, and I think there's one episode with Matt, Brandon and I talk about press releases and white papers and magic quadrants. We even interview, uh, interview overview some books here and there. Now you can listen to all of that free. And this does, if you are a patron, thank you for your service, as they say in another podcast. But uh, I'm going to shut that down in about a month or so, so we stop charging you. And, there's, and it's not going to charge you anymore, but you've got to go switch over to the new feed uh, to get all that stuff over at Software Defined Interviews. And then, Brandon, we thought we would give people a special deal to celebrate this. Absolutely. So for one time only, not really, it'll be on for a while, but you can go get a uh, T-shirt. So go to Software Defined Talk, click up there, click on the T-shirts, and if you enter the code SDT. FSG again. That's SDT FSG. You will get twenty percent off a fine-looking T-shirt. And many people have asked what they look like. If you go and check out the uh, picture of Matt Ray, he's wearing the stunning Heather blue. I think he looks great. I think the picture was in fact taken in New Zealand. So yes, it was. Uh, if if you would like to look like that, or you prefer the uh, the black <laughs> or the gray shirt, uh, <laughs> use the code SDT FSG and uh, buy buy a T-shirt. Get twenty percent off. And, of course, thanks for everyone for listening. And we always have free stickers, so find me in the Slack, and I will send you a sticker no matter where you are in the world. Yeah, so you, find and, me in Australia. And, and uh, you know, you, you should definitely go subscribe to the new podcast. It's going to be great. I just recorded a uh, – so we published the first one. And hold on, hold on to your shorts because it's going to blow your mind with how, how exciting it is. We recorded it on the uh, – what does it stand for again, Brandon? Global GDPR, yeah, global data protection. Just say it's the yeah, it's the uh, European uh, privacy standards. Yeah, yeah. Now, now that may sound boring, but I think anyone who likes this podcast, they care about uh, auditors and <laughs> compliance and stuff. Definitely, there's something that Matt could probably tell you about that you might want to look into if you're interested in auditing. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyways, it's a good interview with an old uh, analyst friend of mine, John Collins, uh, who who lives somewhere in the UK. So he uh, he. I guess that's his authority for knowing about EU stuff. No, I mean, he's actually written about it a lot. And it's it's a fun interview because it very quickly goes into uh, how he thinks it may not work out very well. And then I just recorded one today with an old friend of mine, Nancy Goring, uh, who covers uh, monitoring and log management and APM, all that stuff. 
uh, over at 451 Research, and we just talk about uh, what's going on in that market and a little bit about the tech news world and uh, also M&A stuff. And she gives a fantastic answer to my question, what's the deal with Cisco and App Dynamics? You should listen all the way to the end to hear her uh, wonderful answer. It's the most concise answer I've ever heard on the topic. Um, wow. So just check that out at softwaredefinedinterviews.com. So while we were gone, uh, I'm, I'm excited because as always, I like to have you know uh, Matt explain things to me. That's what we should. That's what we should rename this podcast one day. Is Matt <laughs> explain things to Cote? But uh, software defined explanations. <laughs> hey, it's a whole other podcast. But the, uh, one of, one of the Kubernetes kids uh, out there, Heptio, who I think I think we talked yeah. about obliquely a while ago. Uh, obliquely mm-hmm. is the wrong word, but briefly. So they had this press release uh, and an announcement. It wasn't just a press release saying that they they had. Uh, it's kind of like the Unburger. They had uh, a Kubernetes distro that is not a distro. Now I've read some coverage of it. Let me try to give a brief summary here, and then and then uh, Matt Ray can explain it to me. Or I don't know, maybe Brandon's an expert on it. I, I don't want to. I don't want to assume. You know what they say about assuming. Uh, but it sounds like they're packaging together Kubernetes. Wait, hold on. Sorry, that's the wrong word. There is a coalescing of Kubernetes technologies that they are supporting. And they're also putting in some missing features to make it easier to install and run. Um, but it's not a distribution, so don't call it that. But as I read more about it, it sounds like they have a distribution. So is that is am, yeah. am I uh, am I am I mixing this up, Matt Ray? Well, it, it, it's a different model, right? Um, they, I mean, we've seen traditional distros, you know, your Red Hats, your Ubuntu's of of Linuxes, where they take you know, the open source core and they wrap it in a user land that everyone else uses and just, you know, package up all the same pieces for consumption and support that. And, and Kubernetes is, is you know, you'd think, oh, it's going to be similar to OpenStack, right? Only the, the difference here is the public cloud vendors are adopting it and providing it. And, you know, they're not trying to differentiate on on the Kubernetes engine itself. And so you have you've got Amazon, Microsoft, and Google essentially running trunk or master. You know, they're they're running the main branch of Kubernetes. And so rather than try to have a bunch of, you know you know, try to fight against, you know, the three big clouds, uh Heptio's got almost like an overlay distribution where they have a couple of pieces. Uh, looks like they've got a, a web console and uh, some role-based access controls and, you know, some health, uh, health monitoring um, that runs in your Kubernetes infrastructure, but that infrastructure might be provided by one or more public cloud vendors or, mm. or even, you know, a, a Heptio thing. So they're kind of riding on top of this layer. It's almost as if, you know, if, if, well, uh, you know, if, if you get your red hat, well, that's a bad example. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's slightly different, um, from, from the other models that we've seen out there because of that public cloud angle. Right. But they're, they're essentially like, we don't care where the core Kubernetes is running because, you know, if you run it on these three guys, they're all running close enough to master that it doesn't look different to, to mm. FDO. Um, and, you know, I guess they have good relations with those vendors and they're just going to be this, you know, your Kubernetes dashboard that runs across the top of it. So they're, 
you know, I'm, I'm sure there are probably other people who were thinking that was going to be their angle. Um, you know, maybe rancher. Um, but, uh, you know, Heptio seems well positioned with uh, who they have and the relationships they, they seem to have and the position they have in the Kubernetes community. That's right. So, so then, so overlay, that's probably a pretty good word. Cause it sounds like a combination of filling in gaps, installers mm-hmm. and management tools that might right. run in your cluster. So, so it is a separate set of things. Now, I, I guess that would be the test is, can I go to them for all my Kubernetes stuff or do I need to get a cluster installed? Not even because it might install it for me. I need to get my Kubernetes core somewhere else. Well, and and I, I got to think that they're also providing that core packaging. Um, mm. You know, if you're running on, on, you know, in the in your data center on VMware, you know, they're not going to say, oh, well, you can get those packages from, you know, from Red Hat because that opens the door to a competitor, right? Uh, so so they're going to, uh, I'm sure they have a, a on-prem uh, version as well. And, you know, it probably works very well with VMware. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that seems to be the angle is, you know, you, you get the subscription, you run your Kubernetes, no matter where it is, uh, they're going to provide, you know, this global dashboard, global support. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So who do you think, sense. Matt, is, who do you think is going to use this? That's, I guess it's like, I'm a, it's kind of the private cloud kind of mantra. Like I'm going to build my own data center and I want you to help me with it. That one makes sense. But do they really yeah. envision, you know, just using the infrastructure as a service from any of the cloud vendors and saying, well, I don't want to use their Kubernetes for whatever reason. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna put it all on, you know, pick your favorite cloud vendor, put it on their IaaS, and then have yeah, Heptio well, support me? Like is that like a valid do you think that's gonna happen? I, there are probably people going down that path, but it seems like ignoring the reality, right? The reality is Amazon, you know, Google, Microsoft, they're going to be able to run their Kubernetes infrastructure better than you chances are good, right? And then you're going to look at like, well, why am I managing Kubernetes on Azure? You know, why am I why am I running it on my own when I can just, you know, use their service, which those uh, is free, right? Um, a lot of them are, uh, last I saw, they weren't charging or, or they were barely charging, for, you know, they were charging for the VMs, but not for the, the Kubernetes service on top of it, right? Um, or, or not even charging at all for it. They're just charging you for the consumption by the containers. And so it's like they, they just take away all the oxygen in the, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, install and manage something on an IIS. Uh, there's probably not a lot there. And, and we've seen Red Hat has has got a, uh, like an OpenShift partnership, I think, with, with, uh, with Azure. And, uh, you know, they're a little more confrontational with, uh, with Google, but I don't know about Amazon. So, you know, you can get your OpenShift on Azure, at least, uh, managed by, by Red Hat. Um, so there's probably, you know, this is probably the, the most likely scenario. You know, the, I'm sure, you know, I say that, but if, there will definitely be customers who are like, I want to manage my own on a public cloud. You're like, okay, fine, here are the bits. You know, hmm. that'll be supported too. And there are going to be people who are like, you know, oh, we want it in the private cloud. But the reality is it was never going to be just one of them. And so you need to have a meta, you know, a meta capability um, 
or you're you're missing out on you know when your customers say well now we're switching to this you can't say well i don't want your money anymore <laughs> right so kind of the the hybrid cloud kind of scenario probably works best here like you want to have your own data center or whatever and you're going to set it up and then you just want it to be identical or very very similar in the public cloud so you use you know you can just use FTO in both places so, mm-hmm. so there's probably at least in my mind i can understand there's someone being out there but it's interesting because i was just looking you know if you look over their value propositions like you know one of them is like the default one everyone starts starts with no vendor lock-in but it seems like in this case although it gets said a lot in the case of the world of Kubernetes, it doesn't really feel like any of the vendors, the big ones, are really locking you in, at least on the the container management side, right? They want you to use services from them or something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. This doesn't feel like, of all the places the vendor lock in <laughs> argument, most of the times it feels like it's it, it never works. This one feels even even weaker, right? Because there just yeah. isn't a lot of proprietary extensions going on here. So, well, it, and Kubernetes is moving so fast that you know trying to differentiate on the one ten branch, you know, oh no, here comes one eleven, right? And you know we can't keep up with all this development that's happening out in the open, and there's not a lot of differentiation there. And I think the the people who you know, who really ha- have it worst here, probably Docker, you know, the company, because, you know, this thing is moving faster and it's completely off the container side, right? We're not even talking about, you know, the containers themselves anymore. And, and now it's just like, well, the public clouds are where you're going to be. Uh, oh, you might manage this. I mean, I haven't seen, you know, it seems like Docker Inc. is is probably uh, the the not not doing well with this scenario mm. well you know uh to that end it, it is a good uh probably we should probably wait till the end of this year but there there's a good case study in uh a master like swiping out uh someone's advantage strategy in uh kubernetes taking down docker inc essentially which uh yeah you know, I think uh, it's a classic open source disruption story. It's good stuff. And then also, also to, uh, again, maybe that's not the case. We should wait about a year or so to see if it, it pans out. But, um, yeah, I mean, to Brandon's case, it is interesting to see uh, sort of locking into awesomeness, <laughs> right? Like like the lock-in that people are fine with is like, yeah, but these additional tools are awesome. So I want to keep using them. <laughs> like I, I, the container format, I want to be you know compatible. To use an old word from the um, the Microsoft Linux days in the mid two thousands, we used to say that things were interoperable. That was the bit. No one said multi cloud back then. Things would just be compatible and interoperable, and you would be right. able to integrate with it. But you know, it, one definition of multi cloud is is emerging to be that, and and you see this in in their text that they use, and and we use it at Pivotal. It's the idea that you may not be running across two clouds, but your stuff will be compatible or easily, more easily compatible across whatever clouds that you have. Um, there's right. all sorts of stuff that people take multi-cloud to mean. So, so then just to summarize, tell me, tell me if I got this right. And, and of course, this is metaphoric and everything. So basically, Heptio is like some additional tools – and, and production services that you would run with whatever Kubernetes distro you have or service, if it's being run for you, that will just make Kubernetes run better, which is sort of their value prop, not their value prop, their stated mission from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But but they're really trying to entrench themselves as your 
you know, your global dashboard, right? Your, yeah. your single pane of glass. When it comes to your Kubernetes experience, you start with Heptio. You don't like log on to Amazon and then log into Azure or log into something else. It's like you start here, you click around in the UI maybe, and you say, you know, this workload's going there, this workload's right. going here, but you stay in Heptio. And so this is, you know, they want to be that control plane, and that's what, you know, every vendor wants to be your control plane. They, you yeah. know, they don't usually say it out loud, but, <clears throat> you know, this is... They want they Heptio wants to be the interface to your infrastructure. Yeah, it's sort, of, it's sort of like there was one point. I don't know how real it was, but there was one point where Mirantis sort of wanted to be that for OpenStack, oh, sort yeah. of like installer, yeah. control plane manager thing. And um, I don't know. You see, they got their old CEO back. That's exciting. <laughs> Minor news item. Well, well. So Matt, like I yes. mentioned, this episode. As always, uh, our, our friends at Datadog they give it they give it good support. So this episode yeah, sponsored by them. Why don't you, Why don't you tell us what what's up with Datadog? What do they do? Uh, so, so this episode is brought to you by Datadog. Uh, they are a monitoring platform for cloud scale infrastructure and applications. Uh, they're built by engineers for engineers. Datadog provides visibility into more than two hundred technologies, including AWS, Chef, and Docker. Uh, with built-in metrics, dashboards, and automated alerts. With end-to-end request tracing, Datadog provides visibility into your applications and the underlying infrastructure all in one place. Uh, you could sign up for a free trial. we got a link in the show notes. Uh, you can get yourself a free Datadog t-shirt today at www.datadog.com slash software-defined-talk. I know you got to like how I switch between Datadog and Datadog. Mm. <laughs> the yes, Australian you, influence is strong. You want to cover all bases. So you don't want to <laughs> yes. you you please everyone. You know, when it's we were going to record, I, I had some plumbing problems at my rent house. So that's why we're recording on Monday. But I proactively wore my nice, soft Datadog T-shirt. Very nice shirt. You should get one. Mm. And uh, yeah. I, I just wanted to point out uh, two more things. Uh, they, they had a Datadog had a post recently going over how to monitor RabbitMQ. And it was a nice detailed post. Uh, it kind of went over like what's in a queue and the types of things you would want to monitor. So it's it's a good read to figure out how to monitor all this uh, wacky new stuff. And they have another one that I haven't read yet about uh, distributed tracing for Java applications. So they're uh, they're putting some good content out there that, that you should go check out. But yeah, you go to datadog.com slash software to find talk, make one dashboard, you'll get a free t-shirt. It, it's a good way wow. to uh, check them out and support the show. So Back to Red Hat, a company that I know very little little bit about. My understanding is they do some sort of software thing. I, I don't know. Every now and then I hear about them. I'm not sure. But uh, they, they uh, kidding aside, last week, it was very exciting. They bought uh, CoreOS for $250 million. I think someone did the uh, RAM, the multiple. It's like a 5X on their funding or whatever. So a good exit, as, as they like to say. Um, and, uh, essentially, uh, I mean, core OS, uh, started as like this, uh, fun notion of we should have the auto updating of Chromebooks and Firefox, all this auto updating applied to, uh, Linux. And as I recall, that was, that was the way they kind of started off, which, which was a fun, good idea. And it seems like, uh, and then they wheedled their way through the Docker era, Docker era of, uh, of things. And now mm-hmm. I'm, I think what they're known for and why, I would assume Red Hat would acquire them. They're basically known for having a Kubernetes distribution. Uh, and, and like all people who have one, they have a register registry. I'm never quite sure why the registry is this magical thing that isn't just baked into the, uh, the platform. <laughs> there must be some well, 
epic nerd fight going on where they're just like, uh, that is not part of the core mission. And then someone else is like me and they're like, yeah, but every fucking everyone needs one. And then I don't know. You got to have a registry. It's very confusing. Um, but it, yeah, it was uh, it was exciting. And as always, it provides a rare opportunity for us to talk about Kubernetes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and our favorite topic of all. Open source M and A. Open source M and A. So so nice, so warm, like on a cold day, just a cup of hot chocolate with marshmallows, and not those generic one marshmallows, but mm, the, the really crafted. good ones, the Jet Puff ones. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Reminisce. So 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 CoreOS has, uh, you know, they they've been around for a couple of years. Um, they started in 2013. They had the uh, the uh, the promise of Google infrastructure for everyone else, you know, the the, the self updating operating system, which they started calling CoreOS, and then they quickly pivoted to Container Linux. Uh, we probably had a hot take on that around episode thirty or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, uh, they got up to one hundred and twenty, hundred thirty employees, and. Uh, uh, became a, a bit of a Red Hat competitor. Um, they were definitely going after those Red Hat dollars for you know, the infrastructure machines that run all your, uh, all your under cloud. You know, that was kind of the, the right market that they were coming after for, from Red Hat. Um, they never went after the, the virtualization space. They always went after the container stuff. And uh, I guess Red Hat knocked off a competitor. But I think Matt, we could go back in time, right? Because didn't CoreOS they originally built the uh, the competitor to the Docker, right? The the rocket, right? Yeah, Isn't yeah. that the? Because uh, I think you know this, it's interesting to now see this play out. Because at the time, I don't know. I think I think it was sort of like you know why do we need another one of these? And as I remember, it was sort of you know kind of a dispute over the direction of the format, right? And mm-hmm. it it did. Well, I don't I don't know. I mean, you tell me if you think it's been adopted, but it sort of succeeded in forcing docker to relinquish control or officially open source you know the container technology right which yeah now moving forward right seems you know obviously it seems to have really helped them right so you know i don't know i guess it's one of those things it's like i i look at it as like they came at it with a very at least at the time it seemed like a very pure open source kind of um take on it but the fact that 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 format did become open source, I think really helped them in this acquisition. At least that's my take on it. Yeah. I mean, everything that Docker, the company did, um, CoreOS was kind of the, the counter to, right? They're like, well, we're going to have this container format. And the Docker guys are like, well, it's not open source enough. Here's, here's Rocket. And then they said, well, we're going to have a Docker registry. And the CoreOS guys are like, oh, we'll have one too. And, you know, they'll both be open source. And, you know, <clears throat> over, uh, they almost like got, you know, Docker got pushed into uh, the CNCF or is that what it's called now? I'm, I'm not sure which which group all the Moby stuff went into, but they almost got pushed into some of it by some of the, the CoreOS, at least on the outside. That's how it, it appears. You know, the CoreOS guys were almost like the, the instigators for, you know, probably bigger moves with their friends at Google and, and, and other places. But, um you know, kind of uh, stifling some of Docker's commercial interests. And now, you know, Red Hat, who is very good at stifling others' commercial interests, you know, scoops them up. Um, and, you know, they say that they will eventually open source most of their stuff like they always have. Um, and so, yeah, um, 
good. So it's good a nice move. I, yeah, I think it's a good move. And I think you know their strategy there because I think you're right. I think the there's probably a group of people that wanted Docker to be more open, but they're the ones that I think really made it happen. Right? They pushed mm-hmm. you know real projects that had legs behind them, and maybe you know maybe said with the help of others. Um, and then that's really taken. And then the other thing about this acquisition that I don't know if any financial analysts has like figured out how to value. And man, I know you you actually posted this. It's like they're um, with this acquisition, Red Hat. I guess has got like what twelve or no fifteen um, co leads on the Kubernetes Kubernetes projects essentially. So when you kind of look at the diagram that you posted out there, I think on Twitter, it's like I think it's over half. So you think about yeah. like, the leadership. You know, I don't know how to value it, but it feels like that's just tremendously valuable, right? Like if you're pushing the kind of kind of, I know you, I know it's open and things like that, but you have heavy influence. You know, I guess we yeah, could debate yeah. that, but like you have heavy influence of a really emerging technology. Like, if I'm sitting with an investment banker, as Coach and I discussed on the last Exegesis <laughs> podcast, we would probably be saying to ourselves, "We're going to come up with some number like this is worth fifty million." Model that out. Are, yeah. Now, Brandon, are you we suggesting get- that there is a Kubernetes deep state that we should be concerned about? There's some dark rooms of people controlling the fate of Kubernetes. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, it looks like a red state when I look at this diagram. Hey, yo, <laughs> oh, uh, but uh. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Matt? You're, you, I think you probably know more of these people because I think the uh, company line would be like, these are community projects. You know, anyone can participate. It just kind of worked out this way. But I look at that and I'm like, this is this is very valuable. You know, this this feels like Red Hat. Um, I mean, for for all intents and purposes, Red Hat sucked a lot of the oxygen out of OpenStack. Um, for you know, where it's 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 their play. Right, they got everyone to pretty much give up on rolling their own OpenStack, and now you've got you know Cisco and HPE putting Red Hat OpenStack on-prem, right? Um, and, and so with Red Hat kind of making this move, they've got a lot of you know a lot of the engineering leadership um, you know works for Red Hat, and you know it's not like there's. There is a, a deep state, but it's all on GitHub, right? <laughs> it's all on mailing lists. Um, you, you know, you're, you're going to have to dig, you know, you're going to have to, you know, participate and engage to be part of it. But it's not, uh, you know, there's not a lot of backroom shenanigans. I, there's plenty of shenanigans, but uh, it's all out in the open, essentially. Um, but this is Red Hat's uh, modus operandi, right? They, they, they move in and they're like, you know what, we're going to sit in the middle of this and we're going to, you know, push our influence into all these projects. We're going to get what we want out of it. And, uh, you know, our stock price is going to tick up 10% every quarter or whatever. And we'll just keep, you know, moving this open source thing forward. And, you know, uh, I, I did see some, some, um, some grumps, uh, some complaints about this, uh, uh, you know, image. Um, most of them saying, um, Hey, just like OpenStack, right? Um, for good or bad. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's this is how they work, right? They're like, yeah. oh, it's well, think, open source. We're gonna. I think it really in. comes. It comes back to the um, the thing about Red Hat that is like, I think people. I don't know. I feel like people don't think about it. And I was like, Red Hat is the unicorn. Like people keep trying to create like the next Red Hat. Like we're creating an open source business, and that point to Red Hat. And I think what they don't understand is like Red Hat, like a lot of businesses. Was it was born under a very unique set of circumstances and has a certain set of advantages that I mean I think are 
very difficult to ever ever replicate like a company that does business the way it does and it's had so much success um is very very unique and, I, and like i said i don't think it's ever been replicated and i, I doubt um kind of like the way it happened would ever happen again so it's but it is for them it makes i think this makes it's a, it's a good strategic move right i mean it makes a lot of sense um and it didn't seem you know the valuation oftentimes i see it and i'm just like oh that's crazy like this one uh felt like was a pretty good valuation for what they mm -hmm. ultimately got out of it um and i know there was a bunch of different discussions about like what would be supported going forward but i think in the end right that's probably not the core of why they bought this right it was sort of like you know getting control of the right. projects and leading the direction and having the influence is, is much more valuable than the maybe the specific revenue stream that they've created Man, well, it, it definitely nips some of the competition in the bud right i mean the mm. they they had some um uh, kind of mealy mouth stuff about like oh all that open source stuff that was in there you know it's it'll all stay open source but it didn't say anything about it getting supported or you know continuing to live on like container Linux is a threat to um, to atomic and and uh, and Red Hat's you know core business which is monetizing rel right and so anything that doesn't come off that branch is you know we, we don't like. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think I think from a uh, trying to unbias myself being a pivotal person, but from from a attempted unbiased outside perspective, right? Like it would it would be ridiculous if you didn't merge this stuff, right? Like you don't want to have in in the next two years. I want one answer to like I want to do this containers stuff, right? Like I just want one name. I don't want to know about like Atomic and OpenShift and CoreOS and Kubernetes. Just like give me one thing. Right. And 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 for God's sake, from the same company, don't give me multiple options of, of things right. if, if what I want is containers. And so it would make sense. And and then also just like from a operational point of view, having multiple Kubernetes things doesn't that doesn't sound cool either. So it would be maybe there's a really great reason. But it would not make sense to me, as far as I can tell, for them to uh, have two separate things. So, of course, they no. should merge it together. Like, it's that's what you would do uh, with that kind of stuff. It, like, you know, anyways, so 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 that would make sense. Then also to that point, right, like, um, depending on how you count market share, right? Like, so the new stack has something based on CNCF uh surveys and i maybe i bet four or five one has some estimates but you know it looks like they'll have red hat would have like somewhere between let's say 15 and 20 percent of the kubernetes market uh combining these two things together which back when i did mna was considered winning <laughs> in in, yeah. in a sense of and this early in the market it's not over but that's considered significant or or material right and it's it's hard to get much more than uh you know let's say 30 40 percent of a market but that is a pretty big chunk of of the market to have so in that sense it's good and it also feeds into they they should merge these things together <laughs> like like you don't want to fragment that out very much right this is this continues the path of you know you you go into some shops and they are a window shop right they they use the microsoft technologies they've been all in you know you know how <laughs> it's it might be hard to sell to them because if it doesn't come from microsoft they don't want it and you know there's less of that now than there used to be uh but we are starting to see like there are red hat shops right the cto or cio or whoever makes those sorts of decisions like you know this is our vendor and 
We've got a good relationship with them. We trust what's been coming down the pipe from them for years and years. Eggs are in their basket. Well, so so then this brings another perennial point uh, mm-hmm. called, uh, so, Kubernetes, does it actually work? Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, that's kind of back to the Heptio point, right? Yeah. Let someone else manage it. You know, you don't want to be the ones running it. You just want to have, you know, your dashboard on top of somebody else's engineering or operations, right? Um, the the whole point to all of this is running applications, right? People want to run their applications, and they don't want to think about the plumbing. Yeah. yeah. So. But but I think your point, like, you know, Kote, I feel like, you know, let's take the other side of this acquisition is that, well, I mean, the good news is you're leading Kubernetes. The bad news is... You're leading Kubernetes, and there does seem, you know, if we kind of use the old Gardner terminology, like are we at the, you know, height of inflated expectations? Because even guys like, you know, you'll see like Kelsey Moore, I'm sorry, Kelsey, Kelsey Alitire, rather, you see some of the, I feel like you see more of the DevOps, whatever, thought leaders, key- keynoters, kind of talking more about like, hey, this is really complicated. You know, when you get into this, it's going to be harder than you think, right? And even occasionally people talk about, you know, that a monolith isn't the end of the world or, you know, don't don't think it's going to change overnight. So I do feel like the backlash is coming, right? There's going to be some backlash. Now, sometimes it just means it's growing pains and it'll just get worked out. But, you know, at the same time, there is this notion out there that, like, may, maybe this should be simpler or maybe all this complexity to your original point, Matt, isn't letting us build apps better, faster. Um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's a, an emerging uh, trend or not trend, an emerging uh subject of conversation with kind of the, the thought leaders, if you will, of the industry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it is, it is an ongoing thing of uh, keeping tabs of production stuff in, in Kubernetes, as it were. And, and there's, there's stories here and there, but there's obviously uh, more work to go, according to stuff you hear here and there about it being difficult or whatever. And one would assume that the public cloud ones tend to run better because you don't have to run them and they get set up. But it, w- it would be yeah. good to start seeing a lot more uh, effortless and easy success stories about about the stuff working. But, you know, that, that it also may be that that indicates it's the kind of market where um, the the component of Kubernetes is not the important thing. But, you know, whether it's something like Heptio or Red Hat or what Pivotal does or other people like the people or, or, or IBM, the people sort of like wrapping that gooey center in a chocolatey core. Uh, and, and as James Governor would say, packaging it, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. he, he likes to buy his nuts packaged instead of buying them in bulk. Uh, you know, that the, the ultimate, the packaging and the running becomes the important thing, which I think was that was a lesson that you could learn from uh, – J2EE or JEE, there was a core ungangliness and packaging it and wrapping your stuff around it was what was valuable. And Linux was like that as well in its own unique way. And then OpenStack was never seemed to figure that out very much. I don't know. I, I should, uh, it, it was a weird it was too hard. thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, great promise, but I guess it was too hard for extremely broad adoption, hence seeing it very popular in uh, sort of specialist, IT specialist areas who just need the technology. Or people who, who put up with a lot of tinkering. You have to be kind of gnomic, it seems. Uh, but it is it is like and, – and I guess I guess that is kind of like based on the discussion we were having about what is an undistro. It's almost like 
if if this becomes a free, purely open source like core of stuff that anyone can get, but it's difficult to get up and running, then sure, all of the money is around that uh, up and running part that around it. And <laughs> then and then that also means that each company, everyone uh, is that is that game called Hand Slap, where you're always trying to be the hand on top of someone else. Every company is always trying to hand slap to the top, where they have their <laughs> their lock in of of awesomeness. And so each, yes. com- each company would be motivated to basically hustle up to that area of uniqueness, right? Like in Pivotal's case, we're always going to tell you that you should focus on the outcomes of having really good application development and how that improves your business. I, I, I'm not really sure what Red Hat's deal is. I'm sure it's fantastic. And then, uh, you know, when it comes to like Amazon and Google and Azure, they're going to tell you how like their machine learning is the best or whatever their, their services are reasons that you would want to go there. Uh, and then on and on and on, right? Like everyone will race towards their uh, differentiation if if you have a freely available functioning uh, core at the bottom. And then, you know, someone like Heptio will be like, we make it run. Uh, and they're sort of like the oven of, of raw meat to make it uh, work out for you. It's a terrible analogy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this analogy is uh, <laughs> hitting some rough spots. Um, but yeah, everybody everybody wants to get a cut of the money. And um, the bottom of that stack is owned by clouds and OS vendors. Owned by clouds. Yeah. Well, I do think the one, the biggest loser continues to be Docker, right? This, they, seem, <laughs> they seem like the, in the worst position of everyone. They're just like look, reading through all of like last week's stuff. Like I was just looking at like $250 million raised, right? And it's just like, what, what's there? You know, to, to the point about like getting their slice of the money, it's just... They, they seem distant in the Kubernetes world, right? They're not a cloud vendor. They had this great, you know, container format, but that's now they've given that up. So th- that's the place where I just wonder, like, going forward, like, this this does not seem like a good situation for them in any way. Yeah. Well, hopefully they're still uh, cutting your VMware bill by 60% or, or whatever, yeah. whatever their thing <laughs> the, was, you know, which is, is a perfectly fine... money in that, Yeah, right? perf- perfectly fine business. That would... That's an awesome business uh, if, if you can do that. So... Uh, That'd be great. That's good stuff. Well, uh, there's a few other things we'll put in the detailed show notes over at uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 120. We've got a very clever, clever URL scheme thanks to hosting on the Fireside. By the way, if you have a podcast, you should go host it at fireside.fm. Just a free ad there. It's excellent, excellent platform. Uh, but, you know, you just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash the show number, which is 120. Don't spell out slash the show number. You just put it in there. Um, but, uh, for example, uh, in, in looking over this stuff, uh, there was a webinar, coincidentally, that uh, my old friends at 451 did uh, going over their container sizing. It's not all detailed, but there's a few excerpts that I have there and a link to the webinar where you can see their, uh, what do they say, uh, the, 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 the app container market stuff is, uh, it's like a 1.1 billion thing in uh, 17 going up to 1.6 billion in 2018. And I'll let you go make some Excel macro to figure out the CAGR. That's left as an exercise the reader but it is it is you know um i'm always fond of uh saying that a billion dollars isn't much money but you can see the (laughs) relative smallness of the market however the huge growth rate is uh extremely encouraging but it's it's fun to see some swags at uh at what that market sizing is and it's also fun to kind of see their categorization of it so also um Last week, there was the big uh, Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway and JPMC are going to fix American healthcare, and this was this was a multifaceted 
uh, this would be something good to talk about on the Exegesis podcast if we had done it in time. But there's all sorts of fun stuff going on there from the metal layer. One is there was – I saw there was a um, – uh, well, you know, as as I put the, the head in here, right? Basically, AWS snubs healthcare industry, right? So, like, it's – it's uh, if, if, like, the three of us, you go out and talk with uh, enterprises, anytime Amazon does something in their industry, they're like, we're going to be running in Azure and Google now. Uh, so it is. It is sort of like there's uh, some channel conflict. You might you might call it uh, with a <laughs> yeah. with Amazon trying to fix healthcare. I mean, I don't know the healthcare industry globally. Is that a big market? Eh. <laughs> but uh, there there was to that end. There was there was a uh, um, an interesting example from JP, JPMC where they they sort of sent out an email or something assuring from their iBanker business, telling them like, oh hey healthcare industry, we're not going to fuck you or something like that. That's Cote's summary of it, but it is a good it is a good look at how you have to be careful as you become a conglomerate what you get into. And as always, friend of the podcast Ben Thompson has has a thorough write up of as he says, kind of his speculation of what's going on. Yeah. Which coincidentally, and I, and I say this in the best possible friendly gesturing, aggregation theory. <laughs> it all leads to aggregation theory. <laughs> I, I, I hope he knows he's a friend. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that that his, how, his how many uh, how many layers of irony are there? Just count them. Yeah. I've I've lost track. I you know his write up was, was awesome, yeah. um, but there was a lot of nothingness in the announcement yes. too, right? There's more. I think there's more speculation than content. That, that's that's um, that's but, the third. Are we up to three? That's the third thing to pay attention to is how much of a darling the the tech companies in that Cote sense of they're not actually tech companies, how much the tech companies can just like do anything. Like it's, it's kind of the equivalent of like if the tech companies manage to lift up the seat and not pee on it, it's considered a major accomplishment, right? Like just whatever it is they do, even if they give you absolutely no details about how they're going to solve a top three problem of the largest economy and whatever in the world. Maybe China's the largest. I don't know. It's not like I subscribe to and actually read The Economist. Uh, but, you know, to solve a massive problem, any details? Nope. And suddenly, you know, a thousand keyboards go clacking just to write things yeah. up. So it is nice. So I feel like it's, it's nice been long enough that I'm going to say it again. I feel like now's the opportunity to like, uh, hey, everyone go read The Halo Effect. That's a good book. <laughs> kind of explains a lot of what uh, Kote just said. Yeah. So there you go. That, that said, I'm, I'm up for anything in, the, in this space. Yeah. Whatever they want to do sounds awesome. They should totally well, do it. <laughs> I, I was talking to a healthcare company the other day and, and they were like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, this, 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 you know, we're in a hundred and, you know, we're in 185 clinics. We're in seven countries. I was like, Oh, how's the U S I was like, U S is a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then, so, so some other things you can see in the show notes. So Cisco announced a Kubernetes uh, distribution as well. There's a link to that. And, uh, uh, Oh, I'm drawing a blank. There was, there was something else I was going to point out, but whatever. You, sh- you should check that out. Now, this is also a good time. If you like links and additional stuff, you should go subscribe to our newsletter. It uh, comes out more or less every Friday or Saturday, if I forget. And uh, I've been putting like a little essay or a little something in the top there. And then uh, all of the stuff that we've kind of published in the software-defined world uh, and, and stuff like that. And then also like the collection of links that uh, mostly I, but that have been found in the uh, the ecosystem. And so there'll be a lot of links related to all this stuff and, and many other things. And if you go to, um, you can go to my website, cote.io, and scroll all the way to the bottom where I did some excellent UX 
all the way at the bottom, hard to find. Or more likely, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, there's a newsletter link, and you can sign up for that. And uh, you'll get that in your, uh, your inbox. So with that, uh, recommendations. How about you go first this week, Brandon? I'm going to recommend Manhunt Unabomber, which is the latest Netflix series that I uh, plowed through. It's it's good. It's just uh, eight episodes. It's about how the FBI it's, it covers how the FBI agents figured out who uh, the, who the actual Unabomber was, and uh, they use all this kind of forensic handwriting and uh, speech. So basically, using different um, writing patterns was one of the major ways that they were able to identify him. So mm. it's it pretty interesting. You know, obviously you guys probably everyone knows the story, but it was interesting to understand behind the scenes um, what happened. And it's a great, very bingeable thing. So if you're Matt Ray and you're flying to Singapore or some other exotic des- destination, that's uh, a good eight episodes. So it's probably nearly eight hours of uh, content to, to consume if you don't want to do work. So Check it out. Go to Netflix. Manhunt Unabomber. Mm. You know that was the the Unabomber was one of my first experiences with the. It's sound kind of weird, but the 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 power of the internet. Like I remember hearing about the Unabomber manifesto, and I actually like found it somewhere on the internet uh, long ago, and so you could like get a copy of it and read it, which. I don't know if I actually read it, but sort of like you had it. It was kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, interesting. You're thing. like, uh, yeah. From from your clothing optional uh, hippie commune, you're like, I like where he's going. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's like, uh, I don't know. Funny. So how about yourself, Matt? What do you recommend this week? Uh, Well, um, I uh, obviously, uh, I enjoyed New Zealand quite a bit. Uh, But uh, in some of those long plane flights uh, back and forth, between uh, uh, countries and stuff. Um, every year, uh, the sci-fi author um, uh, guy, Bruce Sterling, um, sometimes of Austin, sometimes of Serbia, uh, he and John Lebkowski, who's uh, another Austinite, uh, they have a thread on The Well, uh, which is you know old-school uh, internet board, uh, called The State of the World. And <clears throat> they just kind of hash out things they're seeing, themes... Um, it's not, it's, it's more on the peripheral. So it's not like they're like, Oh, you know, Trump's going to say this and China's going to do that. And, you know, Mueller, Mueller. Um, it's more like, you know, what's the weird stuff that you're seeing on the fringes. And, uh, it's quite enjoyable if you like, uh, you know, meta commentary on, um, internet stuff and, and culture. Um, and lots of good threads come, come off of that. If you click through the links and, and read a lot of esoteric stuff. So always a good read. Uh, you know, hope, uh, you know, and, and <laughs> a lot of, a lot of thread. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's like really, or 10 pages. it's really something you can nestle down in and, uh, pour one out for fringe wear. Just get upset that that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now have you Good figured old. out a way to get it out of that shitty, uh, pre block code? Like every year I try to go read it and it's in like, mm-hmm. it's in, they've wrapped pre blocks around it and it's really, yep. really difficult to remove that. Yeah. So, so what I do is um, I start on page one and I go to the bottom of page two where it says more or, you know, the bottom of page one where it says more and that goes to page two. I double click on that, open another tab, mm. go to the bottom of that one, open another tab, open yeah. another tab, open another tab. And then I've got all 10 pages of it in tabs and it just sits there in my browser until I finally read through it. All right. All and right. I, you know, I, I don't do it in one sitting cause it's a lot of reading, Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's, it's entertaining. I, I enjoy it. 
All right. Well, my recommendation this week, update. I actually did get an iPad Pro or just iPad yes. for Christmas. It was, it was, it was quite the surprise. My, I should know that my wife does this. She's good at tricking me uh, about these things. But so I have, I have the iPad Pro 10.5 inch, just like my son, father and son edition. Uh, and uh, man, it's pretty awesome. Like I had a, uh, I had an iPad Mini three or something, and it was of limited utility. But this this new one, I use it all the time. It's uh, it's good. It's lightweight if you don't put it in the case, and uh, it's very powerful. the 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 screen on it is amazing. Like it's got a really good screen. I don't really know how to check out the camera. It's got however many mega doodles and stuff on it, but uh, it's it's a good device. And I think the uh, the thing I've discovered recently about it, and you know, probably if you listen to any podcast, you heard about this like a year or two ago. So you know, sorry. Uh, but like it has, it has this split screen thing, which, is, and it's fun to think about the uses for it. And it's like, you know, multitasking it's, it's, so this is kind of like a TSR, if you remember those, or it was a TRS, those little things you used to have in DOS that would pop a little window up for you. Uh, it'd be like a five key combination. Uh, but you can do a split screen. So for example, uh, when I was watching the state of the union, because I, I like to uh, depress myself, I, I could like have a, uh, a, a Twitter thing, like right on the side of it. So you could kind of see like live commentary. Cause I wanted to really depress myself or more, uh, more usefully. Like I was reading Mark Schwartz's excellent new book. I'm going to try to get him on that interviews show that we do, but called uh, a seat at the table. And, uh, I could have my, my safari reader open with a little, a little, uh, sidebar of Evernote. And so I could take a bunch of notes and cup, copy and paste stuff. And I don't know, not to be like a productivity podcast, but it's really nice. It's fun. I don't have the pencil or anything. And I, I, there was a moment in time this weekend where if it was available on Amazon, I would have ordered it, but it's not available. So now I've talked myself down from that cliff, but I think it's a, I think it's a good device. I think I'm going to test out if I can truly uh, hook it up to an EBC projector and make it work, I, I don't think that's trustworthy. But I, I could see that that you could just travel with it. It's uh, it's it's fun, and 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 I read all my books on it now instead of my tiny phone. It's it's a good device. So you know you should just spend a lot of money and get one of those. My my wife figured out how to as as they say in her, say in her one of her areas how to stack deals. So I think she probably got like 15 or 20% off of it with all this deal stacking madness. So good for her, but it's, it's a good device. Well, one last thing, if you want to join us in our Slack channel, now what goes on on the Slack channel? We got a lot of people talking about the topics that we do. We also post like previews for things like, uh, I put, I put up, uh, you know, the detailed show notes for the Nancy Goring, uh, thing interview that we're doing today. Uh, and, and we also have, uh, you know, links to the most recent episode. We talk about all sorts of things in there, but you should go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash slack. And, uh, we got a channel just for all of the podcasts that we do and stuff. And we put links in there proactively that we see throughout the week. And remember the newsletter. And as always, uh, thanks to Datadog for uh, supporting this, uh, you know, bringing you this episode. And remember, if you go to datadog.com slash softwaredefinedtalk, create one dashboard, get a free shirt. And uh, did I forget anything else, Brandon? You're always keeping track of this stuff. No, I think it's uh, just get the T-shirts. That's the fun thing. So because people did ask me, you know, somebody said they wanted, uh, you know, free T-shirts, and we don't have that, but we have free stickers, and now we have discounted uh, T-shirts. So hopefully that person will uh, will find uh, will find their way to buy it. So that's it. Do it now. If you're at the end of the podcast and you're sad 
that it's about to be over. Like when I listen to my new favorite podcast, Friendly Fire, and I immediately go watch the movie that I talk about, I have to wait a whole week before I, I, uh, I get to listen to them again. But you're in luck. You can go over to softwaredefinedinterviews.com. There's 62 episodes of additional content there that you can start working through. It's fantastic stuff. You can hear about, you know, the stuff we talked about earlier, all the exegesis stuff. So uh, check that out, softwaredefinedinterviews.com. Just subscribe. Please try my software. And with that, and and I was gonna say, and Cote, before we let you go, it's like, and if you want to be a guest on the show, or you know somebody that wants to be mm. a guest on the show, or you just want us to get somebody that you don't know to come on the show, you can uh, Slack us or find us on Twitter and tell us that because we have a pretty good lineup of guests, but we're always looking for uh, some new ones. That's right. Got to got to fill that pipeline. So with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Now I'm gonna have to edit that. I wasn't sure it was just me. What me, happened? I, you, you just, just dropped, dropped out, out for a moment. Let me uh, let me make a note. What is this? Thirty four. Yeah, my kids are trying to make me let them do streaming video. No, nope. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs>